This morning, we're going to continue with our series in Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And today, the subject is circumcision, looking at its meaning, its significance, and practical insights. Now, I've never heard a sermon preached on this topic, probably because it's too embarrassing or whatever. Um, but I thought, how can we have a series in the Old Testament without really addressing this and particularly seeing how Jesus relates to this, how he fits in? Uh, we find it throughout the Old Testament with many references in the New. And so because it's not preached very often, there's a lot of confusion or wrong ideas about what it means. So my goal then is to demystify circumcision and to show meaning, significance and practical insights. And I've got three points. Uh, the first is, um, the first point is that it was given first. Circumcision was mentioned first in the Bible, referring to Abraham, his descendants, and the nation of Israel. So we're going to look at the giving of the first mention of circumcision, when it's actually given. And then we're going to ask, what does this symbol mean? What does it actually mean? And then we're going to say, what does it mean for us? How do we relate to this? So um, if we come to the first one then, when it was given to Abraham, there's some questions that come up. In fact, these are questions concerning circumcision everywhere. What an odd thing for God to demand. Why would God demand this? Um, why choose something that only males could participate in? Um, what actually is the, like, what's, what's it pointing to? What's it symbolizing? And is there still some value in it for Christians today? These are questions that I don't think you often find good answers to if you ask around. And we're going to be looking at some key scriptures here, the key places in the Old Testament and New where it refers to this is Genesis 17. This is the first mention, and this is the command to Abraham and descendants. And then there's um, the second thing we're going to look at is Exodus and Leviticus, where there's very strong laws for Israel to be circumcised. And then in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, we find passages which develop this and talk about circumcision of the heart. And then in Paul's letters, there's many clear teachings on this topic. So let's look then, let's go to Genesis uh, 17. But before we do that, let's look at Genesis 15, because... Um, what happens is, in Genesis 15, there's a covenant made with Abraham. There's no conditions. Abraham believes God. God makes a promise. Abraham believes God. And it, and it says it, it, God considered this as making him righteous. This, this belief, this faith was considered as his righteousness. And then we have this enactment of a covenant where God goes between the pieces. It's an amazing story. And uh, the promises are made to him. Um, but then in chapter 17, we have the, the covenant reestablished. And here new names are given. Abraham, Abraham is given the new name Abraham. Sarai 
is given a new name, Sarah. And they're, they're, they're both given this new covenant. And the circumcision is commanded at this point as a sign of the covenant. So why is it two-stage? Why do the, the, we have two separate things here? Uh, Genesis 15 was the core, and Genesis 17 added this external symbolism about the physical signs. So this is an interesting question, and Paul addresses this head-on, this question about you know, the two events in Romans 4. And this is very helpful. Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. This is speaking of the, this is a quote from Romans 15, the first of the two. How then was it credited to him? Was he circumcised at the time or not? No, he was not circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith when he was still uncircumcised, so that he would become the father of all those who believe but have never been circumcised, that they too could have righteousness credited to them. Now, this is a beautiful explanation of what God was doing, because God's plan was that the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 should actually apply to us as well. It would apply to the whole world. And so he didn't want us confused as well. Do we need to be circumcised to get this? So he gave this promise, this amazing promise of righteousness purely through faith to Abraham while he hadn't even been circumcised so that we wouldn't get confused and think, well, you've got to get circumcised. So God deliberately delayed the circumcision till after this promise. And um, then we're going to look in Genesis 17 now. Um, no longer will your name be Abraham. This is the, this is the, 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 the time when God gave circumcision. Instead, your name will be Abraham because I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. This is my requirement that you and your descendants after you must keep. Every male among you must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskins. This will be a reminder of the covenant between me and you. So this will be a reminder. So this is very important. Any uncircumcised male who's not been circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin will be cut off from his people. He's failed to carry out my requirement. Then God said to Abraham, as for your wife, you must no longer call her Sarai. Sarah will be her name. I will bless her and will give you a son through her. I will bless her and she will become a mother of nations. Kings of countries will come through from her. So that was the giving of this covenant, the very first mention of circumcision in the Bible. Uh, how would Abraham understand this? Like what context did he have for understanding this? What did it mean? Well, it turns out that there was at that time a cultural understanding of circumcision in that, in that culture. 
And there's very good evidence of this practice. And if you're interested, I can give you reference to an article um, called The Meaning of Circumcision in Israel by J.D. Mead. And he does an extraordinary job of cataloging every single um, occurrence we have of circumcision in archaeology and in ancient writings, and particularly looking at Egypt, because Abraham had been to Egypt, and we know that that happened very early on. And there's a lot of stuff that's there. And as you read through, and as he did this, this exquisite study, he came to the conclusion that God is repurposing symbols from the culture, that, that, that was in the culture, but God is using that, um, which he's free to do, of course. God can do that if God clearly defines what he means by it. And it turns out that in Egypt, Circumcision was only required for those dedicated to serving the pharaoh, that's the king, in his palace. And so those people dedicated to this job were, they were ones, they were the only ones who were circumcised, especially the royal priests were circumcised. And the other thing is that they weren't circumcised from birth, but much later in life. And so this is interesting when you see this as a backdrop, like a mark of special, complete dedication to this royal task. You see that having the whole nation uh, circumcised from birth was very interesting. Israel were to be a nation of royal priests from birth. That is what we would get from this. And what did it symbolize? A dedication and a devotion similar to what I, I was teaching on holiness um, back last year. I was talking about holiness, not being about moral purity, but about totally dead, total dedication to a task, to, to serving God. And it, and, and circumcision was a very similar kind of idea here. And, um, here it was a sign of believing the promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would become a nation that blessed the world. And, and being circumcised was a commitment to that promise. And it was not about hygiene or anything sexual. There's no, there's no evidence that it was, there was something like, um, hygienic about it. People make that assumption, but that's not there in the text or in the culture. And, uh, but, I've given this list here, but there was something more. There's something more to the sim, the, uh, the symbology, which I'm going to come on to in a meaning, in a minute. But, uh, before we go there, what about the question? What about women? Does this leave women out? Well, after we have this occurrence in Genesis 17 with the circumcision, the next major mention of circumcision is with Moses, and it's a very interesting story because it's about Moses and his wife, Zephora, in Exodus chapter 4. And Moses had failed to circumcise his own baby, and he nearly died as a result. And Zephora, who's a mother, she uh, performs the circumcision and was very angry at Moses for his failure. So, well, people have pondered, why is this in here? Like, why is this story here in the Bible? Well, I think a major reason it's here is to empower women uh, in this critical decision. 
about having uh, the, 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 the children, the babies circumcised because she is the mother and she is the one who is, is right there at the time. And, and they would have seen that Tifora had actually saved the day by, by being really clear on the fact that um, Moses should be circumcised. Um, so I think a major reason the story here then is, is here is to empower women and the mother's choice in getting the baby circumcised is critical. So what about women? This command was to parents, female and male. Babies had no choice in the matter. And so the critical decision of whether to follow the command belonged to the parents. And the will of the mother played a critical role, as we saw with Zipporah. Males simply carried the results of their parents' obedience. And so the mother was at least as important as the father in making this decision. Um, so that's my first point. Uh, the the first giving of circumcision to Abraham, his descendants, and then the nation of Israel. I haven't gone through the references in the law about being circumcised, but there's lots of references in uh, in Exodus and uh, and um, uh, Leviticus about this. So, what I'd like to do now is to move on to asking what this symbol means. And I've already alluded to what it means, but I gave you a plus, a more there. There's something more than just the nation being dedicated. And uh, I'm going to, and then we're going to look at what it means for us. So I'm going to argue that the primary meaning we're going to see in scripture, the primary symbolic meaning of circumcision is new creation. It's new creation. And here's some of some quick, bullet list of, of things to back this up and then we'll go into more detail first it was done on the eighth day well what's the eighth day well the eighth day is the beginning of a new week in other words it's the beginning of a new creation and the idea of the eighth day being new start another start culminated of course in jesus who rose from the dead on the eighth day which is was the Sunday, beginning a new creation. His resurrection is the new creation, and it, be, it was done on the eighth day. So having it done on the eighth day is very, very symbolic there that we are alluding to new creation. Uh, also, like when it was given, Abra uh, Sarah and Abraham were given new names at this point. It's like new creation in them as well. And... Uh, also, it marks the part of the body connected to bringing new life. Uh, so what does this mean? Well, an uncircumcised heart is dead to God. And a circumcised heart is new, a new heart alive to the voice of God. And this is what we're going to see in some verses. I'm just summarizing. We're going to see how circumcision connects to new creation. And uh, the very first time, one of the very first times we get this idea of new, uh, of uh, the heart is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Back still in the, the, the times in the wilderness, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you 
may live. So here, really, really clearly, we have God spelling out, actually, I've given you circumcision, but actually, it's not really about the body. It's about something that happens to your heart that makes, that brings life, that brings it to be alive. So that's Deuteronomy. Uh, Jeremiah is really the best place to look at. There's other scattered references, but Jeremiah has um, circumcision as a heart in his theme. So let's look at uh, near the beginning, Jeremiah chapter 6. He says, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. The idea of, of ears being uncircumcised is that they, they can't listen. They're like, they don't, the words don't even fall. They're, they're dead to the words of God. Uncircumcised hearts. Um, and uh, so at the beginning of Jeremiah, we get a lot of, of um, darkness in terms of the prophecies. And uh, if we look in Jeremiah chapter 9, we read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in their flesh. All the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Um, but then... Uh, if we move on to later to Jeremiah chapter 31, we get a parallel statement that just beautifully mirrors this one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So the old covenant was the covenant of circumcision. The new covenant, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so what does he say then? What's the parallel with the uncircumcised heart in up in chapter 9, verse 26? In chapter 31, um, it's actually the law written within them, right, written on our hearts, we're actually given a new heart. And this is the new covenant. The new covenant is God giving us a new heart that's alive to him, that naturally wants to do his will. When it says the law is written on our hearts, that means that we, it's coming from the inside. We don't need it imposed from the outside, from, from letters written on stone. It's actually there already in our hearts. We just naturally want to do those things. They flows out of our hearts because we have new hearts. So this then is the circumcised heart, the one that has life as opposed to the one that has death. If you still doubt my argument that it means a new creation, that circumcision means a new creation, let me invite uh, the Apostle Paul to be my witness here. Galatians six fifteen. For circumcision does not count for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. <laughs> Beautifully contrasting then the old imagery with the reality of new creation. This is what it's about. And so that then briefly is looking at the significance, the, the, the story, the significance of the symbol. And now we're going to ask, what does this symbol mean for us? What does it mean for us? Well, Paul's letters 
a, a bring a rich picture. And there's, there's a very full explanation. Many, many times, many of Paul's letters talk about circumcision. Um, he was dealing with a number of issues. He was dealing with people who said that new Christians who weren't Jews had to get circumcised. And Paul answers this. He said, was anyone called, uh, that means he's meaning saved, after he had been circumcised, he should not try to undo his circumcision. Was anyone called who is uncircumcised, he should not get circumcised. So you don't have to become a Jew uh, by circumcision if you're not that when you're saved. And this was a really critical issue in the early, early church, which of course started off Jewish, and they had to be very, very clear on this. He says, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Instead, keeping God's commandments is what counts. In other words, having the commandments written on our hearts. He says, let each one remain in that situation in life in which he was called. So this is a really clear uh, teaching about how it relates to Gentiles, that it's actually really don't get hung up on the physical reality. It's unimportant, Paul says. It's, it's not that's nothing. Actually, it's, it's a heart. It's whether the heart has a heart to hear God and a heart that wants to respond to him. And uh, we get a beautiful picture also in Colossians chapter 2 of the old life dying and receiving a new life. In him you also were circumcised. Not, however, with the circumcision performed by human hands. Having been buried with him in baptism, you also have been raised with him. Even though you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he nevertheless made you alive with him, having forgiven all your sins. So this is a, a beautiful parallel here. So let's just take some time to look at this. Um, what he's saying is that Jesus is our circumcision. He's the one who circumcises us. How does he do it? by actually cutting out the dead old heart and give it that's dead and giving us a new heart, giving us this new life within us. And uh, he does this by his death and resurrection. And Paul is paralleling us like we died with him. As Jesus died, we died with him. And that was, if you like, the death, the, the, uh, the, the killing uh, the circumcision, of the cutting of the old, and then raising with him is being given the new heart and the circumcised heart, the heart that wants to follow him. This beautifully fits together. Now, some people have looked at this text where Paul is also bringing in the, the image of baptism, because baptism is also an image of dying and being raised again. Baptism is a little different, but it's got the same kind of imagery of dying when we go down into the water and being raised again. Some people have looked at this and said, ha, huh, so um, baptism then is a picture, is the New Testament replacement for circumcision. So just like we circumcise babies in the old, we should 
baptize babies in the new. This is where this idea comes from. So, um, well, there are two problems with this. One of them is that there's no record of, uh, of, of people who don't have faith being baptized in the New Testament. It's a sign of faith. And it's, it's, uh, even if we have bapt, um, families receiving baptism, there's no, there's no evidence that there were children, there were babies in that family, rather babies who were part of that. Um, so, um, so, uh, that's, uh, so, I, I don't think that you can draw that line from circumcision to baptism, but I'm going to to look at that in just a minute as well. We're not just relying on this text for that. Um, so, but the, the most important thing here is that Jesus is our circumcision. That's the most important thing. And that this new life that we have, this life in the spirit is through being joined to the resurrection of Jesus. So circumcision is resurrection. It's, it's receiving his new life as we're raised from the dead. It's just a beautiful picture how that fits together. Um, Romans chapter two, Paul also develops this very beautifully. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision something that is outward in the flesh. But someone is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart by the spirit and not by the written code. This person's praise is not from people, but from God. So this is a, a critical um, connection here between circumcision and the work of the spirit. And we saw that in the promise um, promises in Jeremiah, but we see it in many places that the new, the new creation that's within us is through the spirit. And here he's saying circumcision of the heart is by the spirit. And um, uh, it's very interesting that he says that we are a Jew. You know, everyone who who's a child of Abraham through faith, um, we're Jews. And of course, that was very offensive to the Jews at that time. And he was attempted to kill him on several occasions. And um, in fact, at one point in, in Paul's writings, I've got, I haven't got the verse to show you, but I just, I'll just mention it. Paul refers, he actually uses the word mutilation to refer to circumcision when he's, he's describing, he's, he's arguing with people who are really lifting it up far too high. So what he's saying then in this is actually, um, it's the spirit who does the circumcision on our hearts and he makes us the children of Abraham, the children of his promise. So let's just step back and look at the big picture. And I think you'll find this interesting. Signs and seals of the covenant. So with Noah, it was the rainbow was the sign and seal. That was like God gave that as a sign for what he was doing. So what would you say with Abraham? Well, we know it was circumcision. Uh, he said to Abraham, you know, this is the sign of the covenant I'm giving to you, circumcision. What about Moses and Israel and the Ten Commandments and the law that was given in the wilderness? What was the sign? It wasn't actually circumcision. It was the Sabbath. And very clearly, God says, this is the sign I'm giving you. It's the Sabbath. Lots of very clear references to that word being used with them. Um, well, what about the new covenant? What is the sign of and seal of the new covenant? I'll give you a clue. It's not baptism. Baptism is a, is a, a picture, a symbol of, 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 of 
joining with De- Jesus' death and resurrection, but it's not the seal of the new covenant. What is the seal? The seal, I can see somebody knows. The seal is not baptism. One Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty two says, who has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a deposit. It's the spirit in our hearts of Ephesians one thirteen, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So what Paul is saying is actually just like uh, in the old, you know, they, they were circumcised and that's like the sign that they're a member of the covenant. Now, the sign that we remember of the covenant is, of course, circumcision of the heart, which is done by the Spirit. And so it all fits together beautifully that the, the Spirit is described as the seal, because he's the one who brings this circumcision of our heart. So having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I just love how this fits together. I find it very satisfying that everything connects together once you see the Spirit as the one who gives us the new heart and who fit and everything fits together so lovely here. Um, so I want to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going to ask the question then, what does that actually mean practically? Um, what does this mean practically? Well, if you think of it, Abraham carried around with him the mark of being a member of God's covenant. It was with him all the time. But ours is far better. We carry within us the mark of being a member of Christ's covenant in the spirit. And so uh, I'd like then to just, I'm just going to summarize where we've been and I'm just going to bring this to a close today. So we've looked first of all at when, when circumcision was first given in Genesis 17 and the give and what it meant in the context and given to the nation of Israel and what it meant to them. And then we look to what the symbol means. And ultimately it means new creation. It means a heart, um, a circumcised heart is a heart that's new and naturally wants to serve God through the spirit who's created it. And what it means to us is that we are circumcised by having the seal of the Spirit within us. It's replaced physical circumcision, having him with us. So I just want to draw this to a close by, by asking how this, how this affects us practically. So Christ, Jesus Christ, is living in us through the Spirit in a new and living way. And I want to ask you, are you aware of his power? If you're a Christian today, if you're a Christian this morning, do you sense that there's something in you which is not your, which is not part of your natural old desires, but there's a new life within you, a life that wasn't there before you were a Christian? You may still fall into sin, but isn't there something in you that just longs to be free from sin and to be like Christ? Isn't there something in you that just wants to to serve God and follow Christ. And that's the seal. That's the spirit in you. And uh, what I want to do is to in, to ask you, to suggest to you that you encourage this new life and let it grow. So we have um, a new flower growing here in our living room. 
And this beautiful daffodil was actually a lot smaller than this when we got it. And we've got, we put a bright light above it, shining down, and it's encouraging it to grow. And it's growing very well. And so I want to, I want to suggest to you that you need to encourage, you need to shed, show light, uh, uh, a grow light on the, the, the new heart that you have, that it grows. And so, um, whenever you feel the spirit moving within you, urging you to follow Christ and you feel that urge, then give that some light, give that some, some fertilizer, allow that to grow. Um, you know, you might, you might see as, as, uh, somebody who needs help and, and you, and you feel something within you. Yeah, I should help them. I can show love to them. And this, this urge to show love is one that is coming from the spirit and you can give it growth. So don't just crush it, but encourage this new nature within you. Imagine you're, you're at work and you're having a disagreement with somebody or, or maybe it's a home and there's somebody that you don't get on with in your family and you're disagreeing. Um, and something in your back of your mind is saying, is this what Christ would want me to be saying? That's the spirit whispering that to you. Listen to that. Allow that, that grow, to grow. Um, in Colossians, Paul uses the image of clothes. And he's like, the old is the old dirty clothes, which we take off and we put on the new clothes of the spirit. And uh, the whole subject of like the fact that there are those bad things within us still isn't is another sermon which we will come to. But there is a, a constant, even though we have a new heart, there is a constant process of encouraging that to grow and sensing this seal of the spirit within us, this new life of the spirit within us. And you can't actually do this by your own strength, but you look to God and you, and you, you look to the, the, the spirit of Jesus within you and rely on his strength. Um, in Ephesians, Ephesians one argues, uh, as we saw that we have the same power that Christ used to defeat sin and, uh, and he rose from the dead as a new creation and that same spirit is working with us and so i'd just like to close by reading romans chapter 8 and the first two verses there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus for the law of the life-giving spirit in christ jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That doesn't mean to say there's no, no, no struggle anymore, but there is a life-giving spirit within you, which is the new heart that's been given to you. So let's us be renewed in our hearts and our thoughts and our actions and recognize that even though we still fall into sin, there is a power within us that can give us victory. So let's live in the light of the new, through the power of Jesus, through the spirit he's given to us. So I I don't know about you, but um, doing this study on the spirit was a lot of work for me. It was, it's just so many things to pull together and so many things to read, but I'm very, uh, 
I, I'm very comfortable and happy with the conclusion because it just, for me, resonates really clearly with the core ideas of, of what Jesus has done for us and makes sense of all of these disparate themes in the old. And so as I study this, I, you know, I have a struggle as you do to live a life that is, is, uh, obeying God, following God. But I'm encouraged that I have something new that's been done to me, that's been happened in me, that's been, that's, that's changed in me, which is the life of God. And I can call upon this life when I'm, when I'm, when I'm challenged and when I'm in difficulty and I can say, what would the spirit do? What's, what's this new energy? What would this spirit who sealed me do in these circumstances and allow that power to flow out through me? So my prayer now is that we would be able to live in the truth of this experience. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that we are not uh, weighed down by laws that ultimately cannot change us, that cannot bring us life. But you have given us the gift of new life in your spirit. You've given us this Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you will set us free from the old and more and more we will live in the new lord i pray in this coming week we will have experiences where we clearly sense your spirit within us as a seal we clearly sense that we are carrying this seal and we're able to see and encourage the growth of this new life we pray this we bring this to you in jesus name amen <laughs>